Welcome to Coffee and Change. I'm Bill Kirst. As a business professional, a U.S. veteran, a lifelong learner, and an active listener, I help others navigate, understand, and adapt to our ever-changing workplace and world. As a third culture kid, I call many places home. Presently, Seattle is where I explore my creativity through the power of words and images. In this podcast, we journey with our guests, gaining knowledge and inspiration from their stories. So without further ado, um, Brian Komornik. Uh, Brian is a partner at West Monroe, where he leads and focuses on healthcare management and health strategy solutions. Brian is also an executive board member at Trilogy Behavioral Healthcare, a nonprofit that provides integrated care that enables people in mental health recovery to build meaningful and independent lives. Brian is a frequent author of articles and publications on topics of navigating the future of healthcare and the transformative power of connected care. Brian also wrote a very powerful article on progressology.com in 2019 on his personal journey while becoming a father of twins and redefining his understanding of work-life balance and how it is an erroneous myth. Brian, welcome to Coffee and Change. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Oh my goodness. Uh, thank you. I am so humbled and honored and excited to to be here and and thank you for the, the intro uh it's kind of wild as as someone who uh is constantly going or or doing uh <laughs> to look back and hear that's kind of kind of cool so thank you for that absolutely um so obviously we know each other brian from uh west monroe my former employer your current employer um, i'm trying to remember when it was that we met uh how many years ago it was that we met but i do recall in 2019 when you wrote this article, and I have the article up on my other screen um, that you wrote for, you know, Progressology. And I think it was, you know, we we had obviously worked together and knew each other in a professional capacity, but what really kind of set you apart, and I think when I changed my conversations with you was after I read this article. Um, so if it's okay with you, I'd love to kind of start there and then we can take it in different directions because obviously... You are a, a complex human being. Um, you've got a lot going on. You've done a lot of things. You have a lot of things you're passionate about and, and very successful professionally. But um, I'd love to start with that article, if you could talk a little bit about it um, and and maybe maybe why you wrote it and what it was like to hit publish on it. Yeah, um, absolutely. There's a lot there. And I, you know, if we want to go to where and when we met, I, I fondly remember it as well. Do you? So please uh, tell me. <laughs> yeah. So I, <laughs> we were having our, at that time, it was, it was the largest thing we'd ever done with Western Row. We were having our 15th year uh, celebration and we were mm-hmm. growing. We were all in Chicago. We were in the, the Marriott ballroom off of, off of Rush. And, uh, one of, uh, one of the individuals and amazing humans that, that I had the, the privilege to learn from, uh, Chris Altoff actually introduced us. And then later, as typical West Monroe things always go, 
um, and all of us truly connect and, and, and kind of really lift the culture, we, we caught up and we just started getting geeky and, you know, the, the BK isms began, but I, but the very first time bill was actually, I believe you were supporting uh, T-Mobile mm-hmm. and shot an email out. Keep me honest. And mm-hmm. I just, I randomly got an email from Bill Kirst and it's like, Hey, wanted to share this with you. And it was along of how you signed your signature. And I believe your client, uh, and I went to college together. And, That's right. And she, and she referred to me as the, I think the OGBK. The OGBK. <laughs> I, now, now it's all coming back to me. Um, but yes, but no, it's, it's been great. Thank you again. So yeah, happy to talk more about that article. Um, you know, getting to that article in itself was a journey. Um, mm-hmm. A dear friend of mine, Justin Grace, um, <laughs> talk about amazing humans. He truly is. He's done it all and he leads with his heart. Um, approached me uh, as, as he helped stand up this, this site around progressology. And we found ourselves, um, you know, in a very serendipitous way, kind of always getting together and, and, um, and kind of talking about these concepts. And so he, he allowed me this opportunity to kind of just put my, my brain on paper and, and kind of where I was. And for me at that time, um, you know, the really trying to identify with what is, what am I doing in this world when you have mm. two trains that are just going 150 miles an hour, sometimes in parallel, <laughs> sometimes tangent and adjacent. Um, and, uh, and it just, it allowed me a forum and a, and a channel to just kind of start thinking and, and being reflective. Um, so it, it was a journey to get there, but Justin, Justin allowed me that opportunity. And so I, I wrote this article, um, after really, you know, personally, my, my wife and I, as, as, we had challenges with, with having our boys and, and they are my life, um, had, had our own challenges, which we had to kind of figure out and, and evolve, you know, who we, who we were to, to the, be our best selves for these two amazing humans. And that creates a lot of pain and, and different types of vulnerabilities when you really have to kind of look in the mirror and, and change things because, you want to be better for someone else. Um, and that someone else is the most important thing to you as a child. So, yeah, so it, it was, it was really just a, a, a journey there. Um, I wrote it, uh, actually at my cousin Shelly's house. Um, my cousin Shelly is, uh, <laughs> speaking of OG, like she's the OG mentor for me and she's always, mm-hmm. she always will be, um, in, in terms of what she's accomplished personally and professionally. And, and it was just fitting that I, I wrote it at her house. We were traveling there for the boys to meet their bigger cousins. Um, this is prior to COVID and, mm-hmm. um, it just kind of, it just kind of clicked and just kind of started freeforming, uh, uh, on, on the couch overnight. And, and the article was kind of born, but these were concepts that I had been personally just kind of struggling with and, um, felt it was, it was good to get the, the, the thoughts out there. You know, and I think the last thing that kind of sparked it was the other kind of unconscious bias of, you know, traditional house, house norms and and jobs. And 
and the fact that you know the 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 husbands or or the bosses or the partners didn't have like these other aspects uh to them and all of us show up to work in our professional sense and our personal sense like this need to just empathize and put yourself in someone else's shoes and everything else they struggle with versus you know how they have to show up to to meet a norm and and do a job that they're passionate about so it's it's a little it's a little traversing of that mountain but kind of how i mm-hmm. how i got there to that article yeah there's a couple of things that really kind of stood out to me in this article and I'll, I'll make sure that i link it in the show notes for folks um to read to read for themselves but one of the things that i really found pretty profound was you know one of the subheadings of the article was am i doing this right and you know, there's this beautiful picture of you and your wife holding, you know, the, the twins in their carriers, uh, which looks like you're just, you know, coming out of the hospital or coming home. And it it's I found it really profound, you know, as as someone who comes from a large family, I don't have children myself, but I, I, I'm always surrounded by by children and nephews and nieces and godchildren. And um, one of the things that we we always kind of struggle with is you know, am I doing this right? Be it carrying the baby, be it changing a diaper, be it putting the car seat in. I can't tell you how many times I've had to put car seats in and out of vehicles. And I have (laughs) such admiration for parents. I mean, gosh, between you and me and probably all of our friends, we've got umpteen degrees and the amount of brain power and not so much prowess, but like, you know, because sometimes we force the buckles in, but like, why are these so complicated to get in? And at the same time, you don't want to shortcut things, right? Because it's the safety of this little human. Mm-hmm. So the thing I loved about the article was just the vulnerability that you brought into it. You know, this aspect of like, am I doing this right? Like, I, I can't I can't necessarily sort of research study my way through this. I've just got to feel into it. Um, and was that easy to put that out there i mean obviously it's like you said it's a little bit risky as as uh as people who have roles and we perform as bosses and things like that we we rarely want to say like i don't know what i'm doing it's yeah it's really interesting uh you know how a, a little bit about you know my my personal background too is i I had unfortunately lost uh, my mom uh, when I was uh, 28. Um, my my father hasn't really been in the picture at all since um, my freshman year of college. And so as someone in a profession that, that you're alluding to where like you kind of always have to be right and, and I've just been conditioned over time, um, that you need to be right. Like you're constantly kind of like self-reflecting and it can get you into a really negative headspace really quickly when Mm -hmm. you're putting the principles and methodologies and mindsets of trying to like fix organizations or or help humans more effective or happier, et cetera. And you're just kind of miserable because you're self-evaluating yourself and you, and you don't have a back, backstop in a way of this whole entire new world just for like a validation check. So that that's kind of where that spawned from. Um, I'm constantly looking around to try and say like, am I right? And, and not in comparison, but it's you hear all these stories about how happy you should be and everything. And 
and at that point in my time and in my career, there was a, a profound amount of change happening as I sip my cup of coffee. Uh, it's a great title, by the <laughs> way. Um, and I just, I, I didn't want to get this one wrong. And so it, it created a really just a, a, a different headspace that was tough to get out of and questioning it and then not having really someone to balance and be like, is this, is this right? Like in a sense that wasn't, you know, my wife who's, we're doing this together for the very first time. And mm -hmm. then, you know, my in-laws who, what, you know, who brought up my amazing partner in this world and, and ride or die. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't have that place where I could be vulnerable in that time. I, I'm not, I wasn't good at asking for help. Um, I was conditioned to just figure it out. And so, yeah, it was, it was really, really tough. And that's when I'm like, this, if this is balance, like this is yeah. not, this is not sustainable. <laughs> yeah. Like your values just kind of shift um, very, very quickly in those moments. And, and side note, what do these hospitals think? Like they're giving humans to us. They gave a human to me. Like I, you know, their judgment probably should also be in question right now, but it turns out it's all working, working out well yeah. as the boys, as the boys are now six. But um, I just remember Bill going, you know, having twins, especially, <laughs> um, we were in it together. I remember the 15 minute naps, um, between feedings, like every three hours and, and just trying to be the best partner I could in this. And, uh, then having to go and at that time, you know, into an office, getting there by six fifteen or so to just crank out everything, um, and, and then get back. <laughs> And then be a dad again. And it's, um, it, I wasn't ready. I just, I wasn't ready yeah. for it. You know, it's interesting. You talk about the word balance and, and that's another piece that I really kind of like that you put in this article. You talked about accepting imbalance. Um, you know, I, I'd love to ask kind of this, this question around what is balance or what is the myth of balance, um, in two parts. One would be, let's, let's answer that question pre COVID. Mm -hmm. And then let's answer it um, sort of COVID emerging, or I, I rarely want to say post-COVID, and, and I think you respect that in the healthcare space um, because it's still, you know, it's it's still out there and, um, you know, in, in whatever form it is. So when you think about balance, what is balance or what was balance to you <laughs> um, in, in a pre-COVID uh, emerging world? Hey, I, I, I do respect and, um, very much aligned to that, that perspective. I, I, I kind of consider it now just the evolving world, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not post we're we're living with it and we're still trying to figure it out. You know, um, I think hybrid creates uh, a different type of feeling, but yeah, let me, let me see if I can tackle that. You know, this, this idea of balance, I think overall, um, there's an aspect that hasn't changed um, pre or current slash tomorrow. And that's, mm -hmm. um, by definition, right? By definition, what balance is, is something that is level, right? It is, mm -hmm. it is really, um, when you have, you know, five things on one, let's call them good marbles. You have, you know, balance assumes by definition that you have five negative things as well, right? And so, um, I think 
when you insert the word work life or the frame or the phrase work life balance, that then really throws it off, right? Because that assumes 50% of your life is, is life and personal matters and 50% is work and the math doesn't add up. (laughs) So balance to me prior to March of February of 2020. Mm-hmm. was there was none. Yeah. It was be everything to everyone, be the mm-hmm. best I could be for everyone. Um, people pleasing to the umpteenth levels. Um, and it, and that just wasn't sustainable um, at all, right? It was um, the demands of uh, serving clients who um, entrust our minds, our capabilities, the work we've done before, to make tremendous change for them or improve or bring clarity or help make a tough decision. And in consulting, you're kind of just always navigating what's one step ahead and constantly relying upon what you have done before the tools and assets around you. So that just took a lot of time as a, as a new dad, I had no idea what I was doing. And I had two babies that, uh, you could just tell we're 180 degrees from each other then still are today. <laughs> um, and I had a, a I had, and, and in the house, we had our roles changing. We went from, you know, Brian and Rachel to mom and dad, um, mm-hmm. even how we talked to each other. And so like, there really wasn't balance pre that. Um, what 2020 brought the silver lining for me uh other than, wow, it was really hard, was a validation that we're resilient. We can figure stuff Mm -hmm. out creatively and we can figure out a balance. So the article itself was written right before COVID. I think I, I think I wrote it in October or so 2019. Mm -hmm. And so like, I was just starting to kind of get into a new stride um, at that time, a new groove, a new routine. Right. Um, and then COVID happens. It's like, wait a second. I just worked really hard on this change. And to now you're telling this. me, yeah. I got to throw this out now. Like, yeah, come on. Can I catch a break? Um, yeah. And so, but in COVID, what, what balance became was I was no longer on the road in three different cities each week or two different mm-hmm. cities. And, and trying to get back to Chicago for, you know, early morning meetings and needing to be downtown with different teams or different leaders or different clients. It was, I was home. We were all in these walls. We were all facing the same uncertainty. And what we had to do was make sure that our children were safe. They felt loved Mm -hmm. and that was it. So it was, it was really, you know, what I had, I think from the work that I put in to figure out like, how can I make this life sustainable for me and better for me and not look around and just compare, but rather learn. Um, those were the tools and assets within COVID to create a new type of balance, which involved establishing a new routine, waking up even earlier for, for my own time, um, trying and create a little unique commute by going to Starbucks uh, in the morning Um, and then come back, you know, unwinding the calendar for the day because of the back-to-back meetings that now we're emerging and, and our Mm -hmm. new working styles. And so I got into that groove. Um, 
I worked from parks. There's a lot of fun, fun stories there. Of oh, wow. How I learned, uh, you know, all parks close at dusk, uh, and daylight savings time sneaks up when you have calls at four o'clock central time. Um, <laughs> but it was those types of things that allowed me to not compartmentalize, but give space and focus to each area that I had to do to like try and kind of recast this, this balance aspect. Um, to what we're working in now, it's still mm-hmm. evolving. It's still evolving. It's um, still trying to figure it out. And you know, how do you navigate? Sometimes still traveling um, with some amazing personal excitement that we have with my my wife Rachel, who is going on a journey and starting her own business. Um, and then our boys, who are in the midst of just like some really really fun fun times and years, and you kind of take all the snuggles you can because you know in three or four years they're not going to want those so i kind of want yeah so it's just balance i think is is i think the myth is that balance is rigid and balance is a formula Mm. balance is a is an evolution balance is imbalance i don't think and i think it's taking me a long time and i'm still trying to figure this out but i i just i i don't except that for every good thing that happens, you have to find a negative thing to balance you out. Like we need to ride the imbalance wave. We've got to really focus, especially on those tough days of trying to add one more gem, one more rock, one more pebble, put your finger on the scale a little harder to just try and keep the imbalance scale going and use that as a, as a, a as momentum for positivity and change and guess what like the scale tips the scale mm-hmm. gets thrown off sometimes curveballs are thrown doesn't mean that it has to always stay that direction um and i think balance is just really accepting and embracing the discomfort of imbalance yeah you know i mean it's, i think it's so interesting because even as you recount um that that shift for you i mean i remember you and i had had conversations around um this is obviously even pre pre pre-covid but obviously as covid emerged we definitely chatted from a different place around um the sense of not only imbalance but i would use the word equanimity um which you know there when you talk about that the scale is always sort of moving or tipping or you know let's not strive for rigidity and and let's not try and keep the needle uh exactly um you know in the middle cuz it's just not the world we live in i know you and i chatted a lot at the time around helping other people right um be it spouses be it family members be it clients i'm curious when you were kind of going through this journey and and realization of accepting imbalance was some of that creeping into your conversations with clients and customers, you know, I, I found, for example, my, my way of showing up to work altered because, because it had to, (laughs) because we were faced with, as you said, um, challenges of resilience. And as much as I was trying to figure things out at home, our client counterparts were doing the same thing. Right. Yeah. They're trying to figure things out at home. They're they're trying to figure out how do we do this not in an office. And in your particular field of expertise, 
you were talking with healthcare professionals and people who lead large, large managed healthcare systems. Did any of that conversation creep in there? Did you find yourself having conversations with them that gave them permission to find new ways? Oh, that's, a, that's a really in-depth question. I think, let me try and tackle tackle mm. that kind of from the start. I think I, I agree that the the concept, the, the, the booze concept that, that you referenced, um, especially around thinking about temperament, mental calmness, like, you know, yeah. and, and we all, we always hear the, the metaphor of, of be the duck, right? Like, that's not easy. <laughs> like, we're not buoyant like ducks. Like, it's, um, it, it, that was, I, I, that was really, really tough. Mm-hmm. And I think what, what it did was we all actually, it, it kind of leveled the playing field. We were all dealing with this, with the same time and everyone had different struggles. Um, mm-hmm. I think they all emerged at different times, right? Those that had kids, it was, oh, what am I going to do with these kids running around? Like, what's, what's the iPad for? How are we going to teach them? You know, we were fortunate in that our kids were actually not in kindergarten yet. They were in preschool. So for us, it wasn't a, a dramatic shift other than, you know, I was home and was hearing three-year-olds screaming at <laughs> God knows what decibels uh, throughout the day. And that created um, the need to be very, very mindful and present of my emotions um, to, to, to not slip into those, those mental, mental states of darkness um, or anger or frustration, which kind of led to the creativity of I'm going to work from my car with a mobile hotspot and have different views because the walls are closing in and, it's not fair to my clients if I'm not doing mm-hmm. this, right? So there's that aspect of, um, I don't want to say selflessness, but servitude. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, and yeah, I, I think it leveled the playing field because we were all going through it. We were all able to be human. You know, mm-hmm. I started uh, wearing hoodies and hats, right? Yeah. Dealing with executives <laughs> that were still wearing hoodies and hats. Yeah. Um, the for for that time since 2020, the clients I've served, especially in healthcare, what's differentiated like our teams has been the authenticity and how we show up. It's not just the brand or label anymore, right? Like mm-hmm. what I emphasize is the humanistic aspects of putting yourself in the other person's shoe, just being in mm-hmm. it with them, taking methodology as as a compass, not as the answer and being yeah. flexible to kind of meet them where they are and just not, it's no longer just put a deck in front of someone and call it the answer, right? Like there's just so many different avenues we have to do because I think what it exposed is the vulnerabilities that each of us have. Cause we all had different things and we all saw it. And it's one thing that will forever unite us. You know, the teams that I worked with in 2020, I'll remember a ton of, fun stories, but also mm-hmm. vulnerable moments where, you know, I, I, I cried mm-hmm. on a call with my team that, you know, you just kind of had to let, let it out. Um, and you had different people that were there for you because, um, the separation and, and the traditional ways of us interacting with humans were gone. So, yeah. um, 
I don't know, you know, entirely of, of what it means for, for the now, but, you know, within healthcare, I'm super fortunate. And what I love about the area I serve and lead within population health and care management for health plans and these integrated systems is, um, this is where the business and like all the stuff that you're taught about operational effectiveness, right? Top line, bottom line, EBITDA, all that, all that stuff, right? Really does fall right in the crosshairs of Mm -hmm. humans and doing it for the right reason where missions and value statements of health plan organizations that are banks, right? They are financial institutions that manage the reserves to help pay for your health. Um, intersect with, I want to keep you healthy. I want to be there for you. And I'm so lucky every day to work with chief medical officers and their, their VPs of medical management or care management or medical economics. Um, they all approach it because they care about humans and, and that's how we win. And those are the things that make us better. Right. And so mm-hmm. I'm really, I'm really lucky to be in, in that type of space, but you know, during COVID, um, the unique aspects uh, of, of our healthcare system is while the system was drowning in a wave of, of people and capacity constraints and product constraints, um, you know, I, the health plan itself was able to focus on efficiencies and serving better and being better partners and thinking about data um, just with how, you know, MLR and the life cycle works. If you're not utilizing Mm -hmm. it for elective procedures that are unable to be had, you're able to really focus on improving things then. And so this ecosystem of healthcare, it's just, it's really fascinating to me every single day of, you know, where opposites attract. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting as you recount that, um, what, what, what comes to mind for me is, is just how fortunate I was and many of our peers were to, to frankly be, uh, compatriots with you and your, and your peers, because, you know, I talk a lot about the importance of financial literacy and I feel like we need to, um, get that into the minds and, and, and hearts, frankly, of, of people at a younger and younger age. And, you know, I know they're doing it in, obviously universities and colleges, but taking it down to high school. But there's a piece that I always felt um, I definitely could have used, and that was sort of the, the the medical financial literacy. And so when I think about conversations with you and some of your peers that I had, you know, I think about this this education that I got to understand what you just described so easily, right? When you think about the the, the medical care systems and managed care, it's it's the banking it's the bank side of this right it's it's how the finances work and how to understand something as simple as your healthcare bill or your explanation of insurance and i don't take that for granted because i know most citizens probably don't have a friend or a compatriot who could basically say hey let me break this down for you and explain like why that is this and where it comes from and what it pays for and why you need to and why what an HSA versus an FSA. Like, mm-hmm. I think back to how fortunate some of us are to be able to have those conversations. Um, and that's, is, is it fair to say that most people don't have access to that level of fluency? 
Absolutely. And, you know, I've been doing this now for almost 17 years and I'm mm -hmm. still learning, you know, yeah. um, the area of the organization that I support, that's exactly kind of their purpose. And um, the rub is not all healthcare is created equal. You have yeah. different types of plans, different types of populations with different types of needs. Zip codes are one of the greatest factors right now of access and literacy, mm -hmm. to your point. And um, it's a very complicated jigsaw puzzle that, that you try to serve to best serve the populations and their needs and get ahead of it. Part of the challenge with, I think, the literacy factor, A, it's super complicated. And, yeah. and when you use it, you're not in a state of being to learn. You're in a state of figuring it out. <laughs> Two completely different headspaces. Um, yeah. The providers and the payers, you know, the providers truly are the gatekeeper of information and trust. And, and the payers sometimes get labeled as the, you didn't pay for my service. You didn't authorize my service. Like I pay for all this and I don't get anything. And it's far more, unfortunately, complex than that. Um, but that's where the areas that I support are trying to identify better ways to partner with those in the community that have that trust already, um, serve and, and account for the, the population and, and the needs around them, um, and get them the care that they, that they need and navigate through this complexity. That's what yeah. these care coordinators and case managers do where the system right now is struggling and and um i think there's an opportunity is you know really around discharge planning and and where that starts because the reality is people are discharged again in a very vulnerable place where yeah. they're overwhelmed they may be medicated there's mm -hmm. a profound amount of paper there's sometimes language challenges there's confusion and how do you expect to have the best outcomes and adhere to your care plan or trust the health plan if you barely remember the conversation? Right. And so yeah. we just, we have, we have a ways to go, I think, to improve the coordination and the, the longitudinal care journey. But what excites me is people are talking about it every day to make it better. It just takes a lot of time when the systems and the plans and the impact is as large as it is. Um, but the heart is there. And that's what I love about the executives that I partner with and, and support and the, the teams that we implement solutions to enable those efficiencies and focus on what matters. So when you think about what you talked about with regard to people receiving paperwork and guidance and being discharged, the other question I had for you was, to, in order to learn the things we're talking about, you know, the, the literacy, how to read things, how to understand the complexity of these systems, your, your brain and your mind has to be in a state of learning. And maybe this is more of a hypothesis or a question. When people come out of a medical situation, a healthcare situation, is it fair to say that most of the time their brain is not in that state of learning? It's in that state of like surviving or trying to you know, not necessarily fight or flight, but the parts of your brain that are required to understand the complexity and process some of the stuff are kind of offline when you're healing. Is that fair? You know, that's a, I'm not a doctor. I just play one on TV. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when I think of it, when I think of my own personal experiences, um, mm -hmm. 
and the experiences of others where I've had to be the advocate, right? Or the, or the caretaker. Um, I think it's, I think it's safe to say that the mind is elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, it might be overwhelmed. It might be calm and things are fine, but I, the variables of complexity, what you have to go back to when leaving the hospital, right? Like those types of things. I think it's fair to say that it requires more than just one discussion. <laughs> and that's where yeah. the, the health plan can kind of come in. You know, if the system is discharging and sending home or doing anything, the role of the health plan is to say, are you safe? Do you have what you need to get there? Um, but the trust is not established because again, of the nuances of what people think, like no one gets their health insurance card and reads the packets or goes onto the portals to learn or understands the benefits. So, you know, I do, I do advocate to, to find someone, whether it's your doctor, whether it's some, your doctor's office, someone who's been through something like ask questions, learn, um, mm -hmm. and, but just. Be an advocate for yourself. At the end of the day, you can call your health plan and ask those questions, you know, and and it, whomever picks up on that side, we don't need to get onto the nuances of who owns what relationship and contact centers. But they're <laughs> there to complex, help. But yeah. they're, they're there to help. They're there to help. So, um, yeah. But but yeah. I do think, Bill, it's fair that the, head, the head's in a different spot. Um, mm -hmm. And that spot is not how am I, you know, how am I going to learn the nuances to navigate this system to get the utmost value for what I need when I need it for the situation I'm in or the condition I have. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, I appreciate that because it's one of those things that to your point around balance, like we said before, I think so many caretakers or so many people that are in the position of being the deciding member of the family or taking care of someone, I think one of the things we struggle with is we think we have to keep it all together. We think we have to be the ones that make the decision solely, but maybe we don't have all the information. We we feel like calling the health plan or calling is, is kind of a, a failure on our part. Um, and I'm projecting a little bit here because, um, you know, I come from a large family that has a lot of medical professionals in it. And it's not like they ever told me that, right? But mm -hmm. some, somewhere I picked up that weird assumption that like, hey, you got to figure this out on your own. And even even in my case, I've been I've been extremely fortunate. And I know you and I have talked about this as well, which is, you know, when I think back to like referrals or even like when you move communities, you talked about zip codes and stuff. I've been very fortunate that each time I've moved, um, I essentially just say to my last doctor, hey, here's where I'm moving. Do you know anyone? And what ends up happening is my doctor, my primary care physician, my dentist, or so forth and so on will say, actually, let me look up. I knew someone that I went to dental school with, or I knew someone that I went to medical school with that's in that in that metropolitan area. Let me connect you. And so I'm also conscious of the fact that I've been able to circumnavigate, I don't know if that's the right word, a lot yeah. of the complexity. Um and I don't take that lightly. I don't, I, I try not to take that for granted, but I realize that is a very rare occurrence. Well, and you know, you had access prior, mm -hmm. so you maintained yeah. access. You don't get stuck yeah. in the, the circle of kind of unfortunateness, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and when I think about a different type of insurance piece, you know, it, it also all depends upon 
what you were taught by those around you um and the scrappiness and resourcefulness if you weren't you know um got a lot of funny stories about car insurance and those things um which i'll save for uh (laughs) another day um but these are things that you know you learn from because of the mistake it's not things that that you're taught and i think that's also kind of going back to the imbalance piece and the abilities not you know what not the abilities rather but the the mindset and accepting it's okay Mm -hmm. to not be perfect right like giving yourself permission to get something wrong right that involves trial trial and error you know Mm -hmm. even as we navigate the changes in life and these things as we go to consult you know the, the some of the largest healthcare organizations you know in the US um or support some of the largest technology companies in the world everyone is figuring it out together no one has the answer we are all taking a plethora of data from each of our own perspectives and bringing them together to just try and get it close and right no business plan is ever perfect I think we have to like kind of recognize that as we take challenges, as we take calculated risks and give ourselves and give others and empower others the ability to accept you might not knock it out of the park the first time, but as long as you learn from it, you know, I tell my kids, we just got them on two wheelers. It was an awesome Mm -hmm. weekend, uh, a couple weekends (laughs) back, but like you see them go down. The first thing you do is you pop up. I think that's the mentality. Pop up, dust up, Mm -hmm. dust off, right? Like, you know, and I say that, I say that if if you're hurt, like don't pop up, you know, right? (laughs) But in general, like if you don't pop up, then you know that it's probably off course and you got to change something. If you do pop up, it's probably let's, let's look around. Let's make sure things are okay. Let's pick up the bike. Let's dust that off and let's keep riding forward and, and staying tenacious, staying hungry. Just staying focused yeah. on where you want to go. Um, my journey has had a lot of ups and downs, um, mentally, professionally, personally, physically. Um, but if I look back, like the one thing I'm, I'm proud of is that I, you know, I, I just kept moving forward and just kept doing. Um, so, you know, it's, it's tough, but keep, especially keeping that bigger picture in mind. But that's yeah. something that 2020 into 2021 kind of allowed me is that there is a bigger picture. Absolutely. Let's let's talk a little bit about Trilogy. Um, so you're an executive board member um, at Trilogy, and and the mission of this organization has really piqued my interest. You and I have chatted a little bit offline about it. Yeah. I would love for you to talk about it because it is something that the more I learned about it and the more I heard from you, it really resonated with something that is near and dear to my heart, which is you know, helping people get, get to a place where they can live full independent lives um, and not, uh, not necessarily be kind of judged or prohibited based on behavioral health challenges, mental health being, being one of them. And you and I have talked a lot about, you know, my own journey and mental health and mindfulness and my experience as a veteran and um, working with others that have struggled. So I'd love to hear about the, the work that you do there in the, in the great organization um, and, and share a little bit about their mission as well. I would, I would love to. Um, it's, it's an amazing organization. I am 
so grateful to have the opportunity to to serve on their executive board um, and advisory team. Um, you know, a little bit about Trilogy, and then I can talk a little bit about my journey on how I got there and kind of what it means. Um, Trilogy is a, a non-for-profit in, in Chicagoland. Um, it is a mental well-being and mental services um, organization that really does serve the, the most vulnerable. Um, you know, they're not patients um, to Trilogy, they're clients. And they, they bring that level of respect and dignity that everyone um, deserves in, in these in these situations. Um, some of the, the services, you know, that they, that they provide, um, when you think about it, is they have crisis lines, um, they have shelters, they have short-term housing, um, they, they support with stability in, in the community as well as um, integrated health care. Um, they have uh, those that are experiencing homelessness, the ability to, to really help and get them back. Um, but what I think I love most is uh, it provides humans um, just the support and voice and backstop that that's needed when it's when it's needed. Um, mm -hmm. So my journey there um, actually came through uh, my therapist. Um, I I've been uh, active in my own therapy and behavioral health uh for going on almost five or six years now right and that, that in itself has been a, a really tough journey um mm -hmm. but i got introduced to the organization actually through her and being a part of the board and getting to know the organization was actually one of the most fulfilling titles i've i've had in my journey um when this notion of management consulting and you know it's like what do you do and you, you explain it and no one really gets it. <laughs> and it, 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 for me, it provided, um, a unique identity and value. I think I was, I was looking for that, you know, the skills I had, uh, were tangible, um, beyond just the clients I served and, uh, helped me personally, I think, uh, personally get out of a little bit of an identity funk, um, coming out mm -hmm. of 2020 into 2021. So, um, I love this organization and, and, and the humans that support it. Um, in, in terms of, you know, mental health, I think especially coming out of 2020, um, it's a, it is very much an underserved thing. And another silver lining is we're now talking about it. It's at the forefront of a yeah. lot of conversations. It is now in policy documents. We have services and benefits, um, within West Monroe and our organization, um, to make sure that people are mentally well uh, and and utilize tools and has access to care. Um, so not not everyone is is that fortunate, but Trilogy does provide those services and and they're there for, they're there throughout Chicago. That's wonderful. Yeah, I think um, you know as as someone who's obviously been on on their own mental health journey, one of the things I recently learned and encountered, and I, I know you can appreciate this based on the work you do at Trilogy and, and in the community, is um, there's, there's, there's not enough providers, um, essentially, um, even, through, even through the telehealth, right? Um, you know, the telehealth really 
shifted things and allowed people to to sort of gain more access. And, you know, we hear about um, different uh, kind of providers or vendors or ecosystems, be it through, you know, better help or different options. And I recently, um, you know, read, read a, an announcement even at my current, you know, place of employment. They said that they were extending this benefit for um, every employee and their family members to have up to 12 sessions of sort of telehealth, mental mm -hmm. health um, support, mm -hmm. which is a huge investment, right? Um, and and the thing I learned was that um, in talking with a few, because I was, I was curious to not only sort of do a nudge, I kind of call it like a, a, a nudge or a check-in for myself, I, I talked with a few folks and I, and I actually asked them as providers, I said, how is this for you? You know, and, and it was kind of interesting. This one person was like, well, typically you don't get to ask us questions. <laughs> and I said, well, that's what happens well, when you get a former consultant. <laughs> yeah. Have you met Bill Kirst? <laughs> right. And I was like, hmm, maybe you didn't do enough research about me. But um, but they actually entertained the question and because they knew and they could tell it was coming from a place of authentic curiosity and concern, frankly. And, um, you know, I learned that this this challenge continues to evolve because uh, I learned a couple things. One, I learned, um, at least this person told me, there are not enough male providers as mental health um, providers or therapists. Um, and that was something that I was like, really? And they said, well, think about it, right? Who Who may typically go for uh, degrees in counseling or, so, you know, social work or things of that nature. And I said, okay, fair. And I can understand that because I also work in a space that is change management that is typically more female, you know, dominated than male dominated. But the other piece I learned was that there is some complexity with regard to the telehealth stuff because of certifications and certificates mm -hmm. and compliance that are state driven and, and, and accreditation. By the state. Yeah. Yep. And so I was like, I didn't even think about that. And so one of the things that this person kind of explained to me was even if you go into a, let's just call it a global search, right? Not necessarily that you're searching for, you know, providers all over the world, but you do a global search and it starts to sort of narrow down and narrow down and narrow down and narrow down. And then you're not talking about a large population of people that can, to your point, do the licensure, <laughs> the practicing, even through the mm -hmm. telehealth. And so it becomes um, not a large pool of support for unique, specific needs. And that's the conversation was really interesting because that's why they said it can be really challenging for veterans, for example, to get support through these, um, these venues or these channels because of the very distinct characteristics of what they're looking for based mm -hmm. on trust, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, there's a lot of people that won't enter into that um, sort of symbiotic, symbiotic, you know, inquiry until they have trust. And the sure. things that guarantee, that give you trust are a sense of, well, I know this person will know what I'm going through. I know this person can relate to where I live. Like all of that stuff, it just became very clear to me that we have a long way to go still. And still there are a lot of people that have gotten more access because of telehealth, but it just brings up additional unique challenges. So didn't mean this to be a mini lecture, but no. it's something that's really, I've been thinking a lot about. It's, it's, it's a fascinating piece. The there's, there's 
challenges kind of throughout that, right? Like mm-hmm. first challenge is actually one of the last things that you picked up. And in my own personal journey, I've had several different therapists. It took many years to find the one that I could truly trust, be vulnerable and, and dig deeper into, which is really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Right. So it, it's not transactional. Like an app is transactional. This type of engagement yeah. cannot be right. This it's, isn't, yeah. this isn't just a, you know, a diagnostic check or, you know, like you go and get an oil change and they do a 35 point inspection. This is about unraveling the, the spaghetti for the mental well-being of, of someone else that in turn may or may not be the root cause of a physical ailment. Right. When we talk about root versus symptom and some of the other challenges within the care management mm-hmm. and, and delivery spaces. Um, so like there's that aspect. The other aspect is I think you touched upon the capacity of the workforce or the amount of workforce out there beyond just the amount there. Right. It, it's also an intake problem. So to yeah. get there, so when you're talking about telehealth, that's a different channel. When we're talking mm-hmm. about like the mental services that, that Trilogy has, you know, when you think about being community-based, when you think about a health plan that is in the community and you need someone that's going into the home to conduct health assessments, risk assessments, not all areas are 90210, right? Exactly. Not everything exactly. is Redmond or Deerfield, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um and so that, so there is a profound challenge to identify humans that really are going into areas that, uh, that may be very discomforting and, mm-hmm. and being there for other humans and sacrificing. So there's an intake challenge as well of capturing everyone that needs the help, getting them assessed and then directing them to the services or programs that are needed as well. Right. So it's, it's getting them into even in the funnel, um, of support. So you got to bring the ball a little bit more forward up the field. And then on top of that, when you talk about organizations like nonprofits like Trilogy and you think about their business model, um, you know, they're serving the uninsured. They're serving the vulnerable populations. Those are Mm -hmm. heavy, heavily funded by, um, NIH grants, legislation, donors. Um, it's not funded by membership premiums. Um, and so you only receive your funding if the care plan is established and those things are there. And so when you take an intake challenge with not enough people, with a demanding list of people, these, these amazing caseworkers and those in the field, um, and intake specialists are out there. And they're just going back to back to back to back to back. So for no wrong difference than the other, they don't have time to input something into the perfect technology or into their phone because they've got to get to that next appointment across town, right? Like these are not services that you can put a stopwatch on and be like, okay, your 15 minutes is up now, Mm -hmm. right? You're helping people have medication. You're understanding their needs. You're seeing if they have a place to to like sleep for the night, you know, um, and so those other operational process complexities further fuel the challenge. And so we we do have a ways to go. Um, but that's, you know, what I'm kind of excited about in the work and stuff that I do is 
also putting in place technologies to better enable those processes so that people can focus on the right things and that's the people in front of them. Um, technology by no means is the answer. Business, business, straightening out the business operations and processes and getting and, and having the right culture beyond anything because culture will, will eat up and trump strategy every single day of the week. Right. Mm -hmm. You need, you need the people behind it to believe in it. That's, that's where we're, that's where we are. That's where we're going. But Bill, you bring up a lot of great points, I think, and, and I applaud your, your curiosity as always. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I hope you, you know, you know, I hope you got part of that copay back. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, but, but like, at least it's at the forefront of discussion now. And it's no longer something that can no longer be accepted. You know, the, the push of this, the next couple generations, we are in a very unique spot in the world with four generations right now needing to yeah. be served by all the same entities. And they all have different needs. They all have different desires. They all have different perspectives of what they learned from the generation prior to them. Um, so it's going to be challenging. It's going to be really challenging. But I think one thing I'm really excited for is not losing sight of the mental health conversation and let's be more humanistic let's yeah. let's be more empathetic let's give some grace to not being perfect the first go around yeah and that kind of brings it back to full circle to what we talked about which is the balance versus imbalance accepting the imbalance right as, even as you were just discussing you know um models are put in place around um spending this much time and then getting to your next appointment and then getting to your next appointment and getting to your next appointment. You know, you, you and I and others have talked about this, the, the sort of um, bedside manner of physicians, right. And how technology was put in place to make it easier for them to uh, spend more time eye to eye with the patient. And, um, and, and, and maybe we indexed a little too far, right. With these, you know, EMRs, and we realized that some of the doctors were instead looking at the screen and not at the patient. And so I know that recent technology and things with AI and nuanced technology has allowed it where we're getting back to where the doctor or the physician can just speak all those and all that notes and transcription and all that stuff is put in and you don't really have to look at the screen. You're looking more at the patient to your point around human empathy, the humanistic part of this. There are technology advances to get there. Um, it will never replace, but um, the hope is that it augments so that we can give time back. And with that time comes things like grace and um, curiosity and questions. Um, and I'm hopeful around that too. Um, and I also, re- you know, I, I want to be very conscious of the the very fortunate and unique position um, people like you and I get to be in, right? To to even state that inquiry and say, can we do better? Um, can we do better for for all four generations, right? This is as much about, um, in some cases, our grandparents as it is about our children. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, for a whole nother discussion sometime, but the unraveling, as you said, um, of the entanglement of trauma, right? Um, most of those traumas come down generation to generation to generation to generation. Um, and we have to kind of investigate the sources of those before just treating the symptoms. So I appreciate you sharing that, um, not only that work, but that passion and that call. It sounds like a call for you, um, a real purpose call for you. And I'm glad that that um, 
the universe kind of aligned to to allow you to to take on that opportunity. Thank you. Yeah, and it's um you know, it's it's also an imbalance of boundaries. Mm-hmm. And you know, the airplane model, you got to put your mask on first. And yeah. I'm not I'm not great at that yet, but I'm working on it. And day by day it gets a little better. And so um I think as the trauma doesn't also have to continue going on. And there's a point in time where you can stop it and kind of, uh, you know, to, to quote, uh, a a great movie, uh, from my formidable years of a knight's tale, you know, we can kind of change our own stars. And, and I think that's where getting into the gym and being vulnerable and having someone to talk to and, focusing on the mental well-being the physical stuff comes and so yeah just takes time absolutely there's a there's a quote i'll I'll share with you before we wrap up here uh, that someone sent me recently in in a text message it said never let your storm get your kids wet and it's a beautiful little picture of a toddler and his rain boots holding the umbrella that covers you know covers the entire toddler um and it seems so simple but quite profound very much so. And um, I'm thankful for uh, my ride or die, Rachel, for making sure that that's front and center, too. And, um, you know, being there in, in my corner, being my backstop, keeping me honest with those things um, as well. And so, yeah. embra- you know, embrace the imperfections. Absolutely. And thank you for joining today um the ogbk um I'll, I'll, I'll share the i'll share the little vignette with folks that that don't know the inside joke but uh apparently both brian kamornik and i sign our emails bk um and it confused a lot of people <laughs> including clients and coworkers. so uh i think at one point he was asked you were asked to start signing it the ogbk um so <laughs> Mr. Komornik, BK, Brian, um, no matter what, uh, no matter what we call you, I just want to thank you for joining and sharing your very powerful story and and the incredible work you're doing to help others heal. Oh, my friend, uh, thank you for for having me. Um, thank you for the platform that that you're creating and continuing to push. Just thanks for being awesome and being a good human, dude. Uh, I'm very grateful for getting to to meet, know you, having the same initials as you. Now going on, now, now going on, uh, almost, uh, almost five and a half years. So, um, thank you very much for the opportunity. And, uh, you know, maybe it's time to, to revisit that article and and create a 2022 version to your question about what's the, what's the current world look like for, for imbalance. Yeah. Let me know how I can help in, in, in that way. Or, um, heck, maybe we co-author it. Let's, let's um, do it dude. and put it out there. Okay. Awesome. Thank you again. Um, and, uh, I'll make sure that folks get stuff in the show notes as well. You know, a link to, uh, the article, but also to, a trilogy, um, as an organization. Oh, that's great. Thank you. You bet. 